Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to Patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On, the original true crime review podcast that digs into other podcasts, true crime, pop culture. And this week, we'll needle the new stem cell expose, Bad Batch. Then we'll sing the praises, I think, of Dolly Parton's America. Joining me to get that done and more is my real-life husband, true crime co-author, and podcaster who does not need any stem cell treatment, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. I'm working 9 to 5, Rebecca. So what a way to make a living. <laughs> so inspiring, Kevin. Also with us is journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, licensed private investigator, certified cat lady, and newly minted political activist, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello. Yes, it is me. Uh, I might come knocking on your door. Don't turn me away. <laughs> we already have plenty of people doing that, Laura Bricker. And finally, our resident cynic, the author behind the noir novels known as the City Trilogy and our Patreon book club host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Here I am, Rebecca. Well, I just want to give a quick plug for our Patreon right now. If you are not a member of our Patreon, you should be because we make four podcasts for our Patreon. Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club Podcast, Laura Bricker's Amazing Charming AF Leave It to Bricker Podcast. Kevin and I make a little podcast called Married with Podcast that I have to say is maybe my favorite thing we make. It's a relationship advice podcast. And this week's episode that's out now, Kevin, it's quite good. It is. And this week, we have a new episode of Leave It to Brichter. That's right. Leave It to Brichter? Bricker. Leave It to Bricker. Yes. Laura, tell us a little bit about uh, your latest adventures. Um, well, my latest adventures actually takes me inside my own family, and it didn't involve a DNA test kit. Mm. As it turns out, my cousin Dwight, my second cousin, was abducted by the Moonies the year I was born. What? Nice. And wow. I might have had a few cocktails, was like, Dwight, what happened when you got abducted by the Moonies? And after some denials... I got the story. Good cool. for you. Always get in the bottom of stuff. That's right. And on uh, Mary with Podcast this week, we talk about why I really quit Slate's Mom and Dad are Fighting. But then yeah. we also answer two really amazing listener questions. One from a listener named Howard, who's smart and insightful and has a real sticky problem on his hand. And another one from a woman who says her husband is not supporting her enough when she's thinking about changing careers. It's a super good episode of Mary with Podcast. Plus, in tonight's Crime Writers on Patreon exclusive after show, we will talk about my surprising prowess with a handgun <laughs> and Laura's <laughs> prudishness about the brand new Nancy Drew series. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, cozy mystery, hard boiled mystery. That's all I'm going to say. Save it for the podcast, Laura Bricker. But I think we should just go ahead and start with the show. What do you all think? Let's do it. Let's do it. 911, where's your emergency? What's going on? She had stem cells put in her back and neck last Wednesday. Uh-huh. And she can't move. Were you afraid that you were going to lose her? I knew I was going to lose her. 
two patients, two mothers who place their hopes in the promise of a miracle cure. We begin the show with Bad Batch from Wondery. In the tradition of their medical-themed hits Dirty John and Dr. Death, the network is out with Bad Batch, a look at the brave new world of stem cell therapy. The six-part series starts with a look at an emergency involving patients injected with stem cells from the same company. Dr. Death host Laura Beale traces the Bad Batch to manufacturer GeneTech and distributor Livion. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a good name. Its CEO, John Kay, is a charismatic entrepreneur with a history of selling high-priced products with his dubious medical claims. I'm going to say that wherever there's opportunity, there's greed. And wherever there's money, there's greed. And when greed gets involved, bad things happen. The medical mystery behind Bad Batch is not just who is responsible for the contaminated cells that made so many patients sick. It's also a look at the company's claims that stem cells can treat everything from strokes and injuries to Alzheimer's and autism, while it's only approved for blood disorders. We will be talking about some plot points from Bad Batch, so to remain spoiler-free, go to the time code listed in our show notes. Now, Kevin, you wrote me a note that there are parallels between Bad Batch and the podcast Patient Zero. What do you mean by that? Patient Zero is the podcast that your radio station, NHPR, put out. It's so good. Taylor Quimby is the the producer, and it is also, I guess, a medical mystery of sorts. They're looking at Lyme disease and the history of Lyme disease, and it gets to, I think, episode five. It was a spectacular episode, and I wrote about it for Vulture. That Taylor goes to, after doing a lot of research and talking to people who were there when it was discovered and whatnot, really laying the groundwork on the science side and on the personal story side, he also has Lyme disease, and he went to a clinic where they claimed that they could treat the Lyme disease with lasers. Lasers. And so the doctor, about half, about in the 20-minute mark, he meets with the doctor, and he, he know I mean, this isn't like secret taping. He says on tape, he starts talking to him about what the lasers can do and about how you can get Lyme disease, how you can transmit it. The tick is like number seven or eight down the list of what is actually transmitting disease now. Nope. We know that is sexually transmitted. Uh Uh-uh. We know that it is transmitted by all bodily fluids. Oh, God. You kiss someone, you have sex with someone, you're giving it or getting Lyme disease. Oh, my God, no. Drank out of one bottle and you forgot which one is yours and you pick up the other one and have a drink of beer and that guy has Lyme. You just acquired Lyme. One drop of saliva will do it. Oh, that's not true. We know these things. And it was just this rapid fire thing for like 30 seconds of him just giving completely false information. And in fact, and Taylor fact checking in real time. Anyway, the idea that um, was that people would go and spend all this money on a laser because whether it's the placebo effect or whatever, it worked for them and they were desperate. Mm. And that in this case, we have not just one clinic where they're doing like laser quackery, but you've got an entire multi-billion dollar industry built around the promise of stem cell therapies. And there's obviously, the research isn't all the way there. We have like really great hopes for what it could do. But then it's the same sort of thing where you sit down in a room and people who want to hear that there's a cure for my bad back and for my arthritis. And my grandson's autism. Yeah, we can do that. Yeah. Now, Toby, you actually have been treated with stem cells. Tell us about that. What? Uh, Well, it was different than what they're doing. (laughs) Nobody stuck a needle in me and injected stem cells. Uh, I had knee surgery in like 1993. And I think like four years ago, my knee was really bothering me. 
So I went, I got an MRI and what I ended up getting was what they call microfracture surgery. Cause I basically like had a little pebble of cartilage that was right underneath where my femur came down and it was irritating my femur. And you could see on the MRI that it was all sort of inflamed. So what they did is they poked little holes in my femur and it bled stem cells down onto the cartilage and it filled in around that little pebble. Hmm. So it made it smooth again. Your own stem cells? Yeah, because they can come from bone marrow, as we learned yeah. in the podcast. Yeah. yeah so, so it's just coming yeah. out of the bone marrow. So it, it's, it's very different, but that that's the way, um, I, I guess, all microfracture surgeries work. I did have one quibble with the podcast and it's sort of set up in episode one over like the former controversy over stem cells coming from IVF patients. I'm like, no, that's not what the controversy was about. It was about abortions and stem cells coming from fetuses that were the product of abort, right? I'm Again, not, well, the, 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 the product crazy, rep right? was there in, in episode four saying, I came from aborted well, babies. Well, that happened later, but in episode yeah. one, there's this whole setup about why stem cells used to be controversial and no longer are. And I'm like, that's not quite what happened. It's but not- were they really from aborted babies? I thought they were from like Zygotes, but that yeah. was there was a whole like remember there was a whole political yeah. argument around right. stem cell treatment and abortion. I remember being like a whole thing, and she actually does interview some people in the podcast to allude to that, like people in Texas who were like, "I remember it used to be controversial," but I think that's not true. I know, <laughs> but I'm just saying they also didn't get into it. Uh, but anyway, um, Laura, you sent me a note. First note you have. Major rage walking material here. Tell me why. Yeah, no, this is good because my my rage walking has been falling off. And I listened to episode one, which was about this poor 89-year-old lady. And I like just lost my ever-loving mind walking around the track at the Y, um, listening to her daughter, Elaine, talk about just these horrible reactions this poor woman had. But also that coming on the heels of listening to the guy who's like, hey, you guys might want to get your um, safety measures set up. No, I don't think this is quite right. And they're like, yeah, whatever. Fuck you. And I was like, "Ah!" I just like lost my mind. I'm like, oh, my God, this is it's like so reminiscent of like Theranos and Dr. Death and um, even a little bit like the the crypto queen thing and that we just we have these people that are intelligent that have you know high level degrees that are totally ripping people off but i was enraged at the people that were helpless that were being sucked in by this who were like yeah we took out a loan it was like a lot of money we're still making yeah. payments on it and yeah, 17 my, grand yeah my mom almost died i'm like what the and i just i kind of lost my mind at that point so um yeah but it was good because i did a lot of walking i passed a lot of old people at the Y who probably could use like legitimate stem cells like treatments on their knees. And uh, it was a good week for me on that regard. Now, Kevin, I am really impressed with the and I don't know where it's going. I mean, part of me is thinking about listening to these first few episodes like, is she doing prison interviews? (laughs) (laughs) Because she has all this access, especially to John Kay. I'm just going to call him that because that's what the podcast calls him. But, you know, he starts in episode one. That's him, right? Whose mother has the burn on her hand. I think, yeah. Isn't it him? Yeah. Yeah. And then he turns into a bigger character and he's the head of this company that maybe, and according to government reports, is responsible for this bad batch. And by the way, I did do some Googling and looked at those reports and their claims in the podcast seem to be wrong, that un- unopened bottles were found to contain the contamination. You know, um, we're talking at the end of episode four? Yes. When they're talking with that uh, medical officer? Yes. Yeah. But that's, that's that some unopened bottles were found to have the stuff. Anyway. That's what we call messaging. But don't you feel like they have, like she went to his lab, got the tour with him, like they've got really good access to him and the podcast has done a good job 
showing us, sort of yeah. peeling back the layers and showing us he goes from responsible businessman to another well, yeah, kind that's of that's what character. I like I liked about the way they set this up because when they, they bring him back in as the medical crisis of the contaminated stem cells is unfolding, you know, I'm thinking like why like isn't there like a lawyer telling this guy like not to come do this? I don't uh, think he gives a shit. He doesn't give a shit. <laughs> but he starts talking about how, you know, he called everybody together and he felt like we had to, you know, act responsibly. And that's the kind of thing you want to hear from an executive when they realize something's gone wrong. They want to take responsibility and, and move quickly and try to resolve stuff. And like, oh, and I talked to my mom and I'm like, oh, he's a nice guy. And then as we go on further and further into the episodes, um, you know, we find out this guy's a little shady. And then he just his stories just get kind of weirder and weirder, mm-hmm. which is if we knew that up front, you know, with the, all of this stuff would have immediately not rung true. I would much rather sort of be sucked in mm. to the idea that he's like really, you know, being altruistic and then come to round to the idea after sort of getting more and more information that it's, this is sort of all part of his uh, song and dance. Toby, what are your thoughts on John Kay? As soon as they had that, He's talking about growing up, his parents getting divorced, then going to his dad's place, and it's huge, and there's this awesome car, and you know everybody around him is rich, and he's just like, this guy's rich, and whenever he describes people, it's like, my really wealthy friends. Five of my friends are billionaires. Some of my friends make upwards of $100 million a year. One of my friends who believes in me wholeheartedly, I shook his hand three years ago and said, this is what I want to do. You got to back me if I need it, but I'll give you 10% of the company. It was just a hand. You know, he's just, he's he's a greedy shithead. Toby, to be fair, in your note to me, you said motherfucker, not shithead. Just saying. I did. Come on, right. Toby. He's Okay, earmuffs, everybody. Uh, he's a greedy motherfucker. And yeah, I mean, I just, from the very beginning, I was like, this guy... Laura mentioned this earlier that he's like Dr. Ruja in some ways in that he's kind of found this scam, which is this thing that people like have heard of and sort of vaguely understand as being good, but they don't really understand how they work. And then he totally takes advantage of that stuff. And, and anything about altruism or or whatever, you know, to me just kind of reeks of covering your own ass more than trying to be a responsible businessman because clearly what he values is is wealth. He reminds me, I mean, it's funny because we work in an industry and of course, you know, Kevin's looking at me funny, but I'm not going to go anywhere with this, Kevin, I promise. We work in an industry podcasting where a lot of people feel like, I'm going to get into this and use my skills from other areas to become a rich podcaster, right? We really do. I mean, we have heard stories like this over and over again. Someone who comes from like a marketing background who's like, how do I translate this into podcast success? You know, because that's Mm -hmm. the up and coming thing or just something completely different. But they're like, I'm just good at, quote, business. Self-promotion. Self-promotion. Shortcuts. Shortcuts. Marketing tricks. uh, You know, algorithmic tricks. Making video ads. Like that kind of thing. And then they make a super shitty podcast that somehow becomes popular because they are good at those things. But ultimately, it comes down to is that this is a medical claim that is failing people and hurting them. And if a podcast is shitty but popular, it's just a shitty but popular podcast. Like, who cares? Right. It's different stakes. But this isn't like a new phenomenon of a person with a skill set, like seeing an up and coming thing and grabbing onto it like this is my star but didn't, gonna... didn't John Kay like learn about stem cells by googling all the terms? Yes, and, he did. Like, yeah. being self-taught. He couldn't, he couldn't. 
he couldn't pronounce the words. He's like, I couldn't pronounce these big fancy words. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to Google. I'm like, all right, well, there you go. Uh, Laura, I want to talk about the Laura Bricker of this podcast. Oh my God, I love her. Who is the first care, one of the first characters we meet, Elaine, whose mom, uh, she and her husband really wanted to help. So they got her stem cell treatment so that she wouldn't be in pain. And they do seem like the kind of people, lovely people, who've put like her mom up in a house, like right behind their house. Like they seem lovely, right? And as soon as they get an inkling because of a misfired text that this clinic knows that multiple people have been hurt as a result of treatments that they did, she goes on a mission to find out who they are. There were others and they had to be close by. Elaine and her husband rushed to the hospital elevators, determined to search for the other patients floor by floor. Her mother was in the ICU on the second floor, so they hit the button for three. Just every floor would get off of would go straight to the nurse's station and would speak to whoever. And a lot of them don't want to give out information, so I kind of worded it like we were kin. That's the only way you could find out anything. Within half an hour, she found another patient, a man named Galen Denning. Laura, thoughts? I was like walking along raging and I was like, hey, because at first I was like listening to this sort of sad story. I'm like, well, this this really sucks for Elaine's mom. This is like horrendous. And they're talking. And then when Elaine intercepts the text and she's like, hey, I don't think this was meant for me. Hey, I wonder if they're in this hospital. Well, I'm going to get in the elevator. I'm like, yes, Elaine, this is exactly what I would do. And then HIPAA be damned. <laughs> uh, yeah, fine, whatever. It doesn't matter. She's a cons- she's just going to the nurse's station. Oh, is Mr. So-and-so here? We're looking for him. Oh, yeah, he's right down there. Hey, by the way, did you get some badass stem cells? Oh, I did. Yeah, okay. I'll be back. Like, I just loved her because I was like, honestly, without her going around that hospital starting the ball rolling, you have to wonder... Would those people, how long would it have taken for those people to make the connection that they were all contaminated by the same bad batch of stem cells? Like, because you know these people were not going to fess up unless they were forced. And I I really think that she moved this along a lot faster. She's kind of my hero. I kind of love her. And um, that part I definitely was pretty excited about. Well, it seemed to me like the clinic also handled it poorly. I mean, if we're going to take the government at its word and say the Bad Batch came from John Kay's company, then the clinic isn't technically responsible, although they did handle that emergency, that medical emergency that Elaine's mom was going through very badly by not responding to all their phone calls and stuff. But then we hear later in the podcast that the owner of that clinic tried to send flowers to all the patients and they sent them all back. (laughs) which is like when you get flowers in the hospital like it's not easy to send them back like that takes work right (laughs) nurse (laughs) go get that florist come back come back don't just bring it to the nurse's station and you guys enjoy it actively send it back (laughs) (laughs) so toby one of the things i was thinking about is that our host and reporter laura she does actually kind of a clever thing even though it was the subject's idea where she calls out an expert to fact check medical claims being made by John Kay and his company. And she says that he says to not tell me who it is you're talking about and just read me the claims. And what about all those diseases I heard listed? All the things that umbilical cord stem cells can cure. And there's been a lot of research with uh, damaged heart muscle and those kind of things with repair. 
repair from, from stem cells uh, along with strokes. Also, there will, some of the research we're looking at is antimicrobial, so in fighting infections, there are diabetic wounds and ulcers, and even stuff like protozoa, which are like for Lyme disease. Uh, stem cells do a great job in healing those things. It's hard to know where to start. There were so many falsehoods in there. The idea that there's a one-size-fits-all stem cell Isn't that a good idea, and shouldn't more reporters actually do that themselves? Just say, like, I'm not going to tell you who this is. I'm just going to run some stuff by you. I love that. I, I think it does, I, you know, I think it makes sense because, you know, the, the obvious pushback is going to be, oh, he has it out for me, or he does business with some other company or whatever. So it kind of insulates him from sort of charges of bias. Well, speaking of that, what do you think about John Kay? You know, he's involved in this, also this famous medical scam that I remember hearing a ton of reporting about and reading about with these pain creams that were basically like bilking, uh, you know, using pharmacies Mm -hmm. and like writing prescriptions and doctors were making money and he was making money. I remember this huge scandal and he got arrested for it. And his excuse for it that he gives basically like to this reporter is, it's because one of my ex-girlfriends didn't like me. Bitch, set me up. <laughs> oh, my God. What would you think of that, Toby? I thought that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just, you know, it's typical. I, I think people who are very greedy assume that everybody's very greedy and they're just acting on it. Yeah. And that people will, even if they sort of make noise as though they disapprove, actually kind of get it. And I mean, I think there's a whole thing behind John, like being so open in this is that I think he thinks like people will be sympathetic to this. Like I'm just trying to make a buck. Who wouldn't? Right. Who wouldn't? Right. So it's yeah. So I I just kind of think that's his attitude is eh, people will get this. I like have the balls to actually go and do it. But everybody would do this if they're in my position. So. You know, even if they make other noise, they're sympathetic. Laura, we hear in the podcast that doctors were sort of set up to make money in these, you know, pain clinics, which, by the way, pain clinics are at this point kind of at the center of the opioid crisis, right? Like people come in, they get these weird, like, injections of these, like, very heavy drugs in their spine and all this stuff. And then they, like, these pain doctors who work at these clinics that are not at hospitals are like, like really at the episode of the opioid crisis, right? Chiropractors. Exactly, exactly. But you hear in this podcast that, you know, this company is doing these like timeshare like seminars and then also these big conferences, you know, with these promises to these doctors that your clinic can make an additional $400,000 a year or whatever if you just get 10 patients a month to take our stupid fake stem cell treatment. (laughs) And then as part of it, we hear that they actually wrote a script for doctors to read to patients. Hello, Mr. Mrs. Name. I'm Dr. Last Name. Welcome to our office. Thank you for coming. Name, the purpose of today's visit is to make sure you belong here. That is to say, whether your problem is something we can help with stem cell treatment. So let's begin with your examination. Oh boy, do you feel that? That's inflammation. In general terms, that's not bad for representatives to give doctors talking points on how to sell different products or services. I think, though, that we know that the claims about what the stem cells can do or speeches, that it makes it very difficult to hear it. You know, I mean, there's always some sort of training and because there is a bit of selling when you become a doctor as far as running your own clinic, just like there's a bit of being a businessman. If and you a run your own practice. If you yeah. run your own practice, okay? So the, the writing of the, the talking points is not 
bad, but because what they're selling and using those talking points for, it isn't a good look. I think it's bad. I'm sorry. I thought it was bad. I think that when you go to your doctor, mm-hmm. I maybe I mean I know that they deal with pharmaceutical reps and all that stuff, but I also know like a huge part of medical care legislation passed in the last decade is about exactly this. It's about uh, tamping down the influence of pharmaceutical reps on medical advice. Yeah. Ever get your teeth whitened? Uh, once a million years ago. <laughs> Did your dentist talk you into it? Nope. I went you to a different dentist. I, yeah. I, I have to say, I do have a dentist's office that I love the hygienist, but they are always pushing things. Like you're in the waiting room and they've got like a TV monitor where they're like, get the Invisalign. Yeah. Hey, fix your teeth. Totally. Hey, get your teeth Pilar, whitened. Pilar, imagine you have like a spinal injury or you have like some sort of chronic pain. Yeah. It's, like, th- that's why you, it's different. You imagine they're going to tell you what's good for you, right? No. I think it's fucking sketchy. And that's the part that really pissed me off about listening to this is like you're listening to the script and it wasn't like they were actually taking into account your personal situation. Or who you are. Because, <laughs> or who you are. Or like whether or not you might actually benefit from the stem cell treatment. They're like, Rebecca, I heard you fell with your dogs. Your leg must really hurt. You know you could get stem cells. Oh, I don't care what you say, Rebecca. We're going to give you some fucking stem cells now. Oh, we're going to... And I'm like, oh! Let's bring in our just, finance person to see how you're going to pay for it. It's, yeah. Oh, my God. I've been banned from timeshare presentations, by the way. Fireman <laughs> Ken is like, never, never again are you allowed. And so anytime we sign so in... Things. And I have two timeshares I inherited and we go and they're like, you you need to go to the owner's meeting. And I'm like, my husband has banned me. They're like, really? I'm like, no, you don't want to deal with me. You Because you'll call them out on their bullshit. That's why. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, this sounds so disingenuous when you listen to this. And that's what made me so angry is like, I don't doubt that there is some benefit when it's done correctly in a place that's actually following the freaking procedures, unlike this place, that there are some like medical benefits and this can help people. But I feel like this was so sketchy. And I just was like, these people were being so taken advantage of. They're putting like, they're taking out loans for crying out loud. But the script, I have to tell you a quick aside, like I have a script for Sunday school. I need a script for Sunday school. I don't know what's going on without my script. But I'm trying to do good work there. So that's okay. This situation, I was like, no, no, no. Laura Bricker anyway. teaches Sunday school. Today I learned. <laughs> Is there something like, oh boy, you really need to hear the story of. <laughs> it's in bold Jesus. letters. You, you say this. The kids say this. So kids, what do you think about that? Wait for their answers. It says in parentheses. This, not the same thing. So. Is that a mortal sin or a venal sin (laughs) what do you think should they throw stones at the hooker (laughs) boy we brought in a bunch of america prostitute sex worker sex worker a bunch of america just came along with us when they discovered laura was a sunday school teacher and then we totally wrecked it (laughs) we totally wrecked it toby what were you going to say just now about the script and the claims i i think that you had thoughts that before we took that side Always turn into Lara's religious teaching. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I think the one thing for me that just kind of jumped out and like I listened to this hours ago and I, people who are listening to this podcast listened to it 30 seconds ago. So when I get it slightly wrong, they're going to be like, what the hell? But like they're going through the, the thing and it's like, well, how does this feel? How does this feel? And then it's like, oh boy, you'd be a great <laughs> candidate for stem cell. It's like, dude, there should be like at least like an if then mm. like statement in there somewhere. It's not like you immediately say, oh boy, you'd be perfect, like regardless of what their answer is. So 
it, it's super sketchy. And then, you know, the reality is there's only one thing that it's actually approved of for like actual medical use. And that's some rare blood disease. So everything else is either complete bullshit or it's like totally speculative. And that's the and that's like the best you can say. Yeah. It's it's hard for me because I just obviously went through this whole medical saga and I just had surgery in September, so like what, like two months ago. And I feel so much better after this surgery I had that I was basically I had a doctor telling me for like eight months, like you might not need it, so we're just going to wait. You might mm-hmm. not need it, so we're just going to wait. Meanwhile, like, how does he make money? He makes money by giving me the surgery. And he was just like, wait, just wait, just wait, just wait. And finally, I was like, can I please have the freaking surgery? And he's like, sure. And so it just like, it's, it was horrifying to me to hear the script because I'm like, I like to think when I go to a doctor that they're actually looking at me as a person and saying like, here's what you need, here's what I don't need. So precious. I know, I know, it's adorable. All right, well, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out Bad Batch from Wondery? It's a brand new podcast. Wondery's really leaning into the medical theme, it seems, with their podcasts of late. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Um, I'm going to say yes, because I just saw a picture of myself from today, and I think I grew like three inches from wage walking to this. So <laughs> absolutely. I mean, it's very reminiscent of the Theranos story. And I also think there's some shades of like Dr. Ruja and the Crypto Queen. Um, but I think it, it sort of validates that we all need to take a little bit more active interest in our healthcare decisions and make sure we know who is treating us and what they're doing. Um, so I would say take a listen. What do you think, Toby? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Bad Batch from Wondery? Yeah, thumbs up. I think this is really good. I think it's interesting. It's it sort of it, it pulls the it pulls the uh, curtain back on like a super sketchy. You know, it's it's a it's a scam. And I always think those things are pretty interesting. I think it's well reported. She's got great access to people who are and gives them like you know just enough rope. So um, a hearty thumbs up. Yeah, I like it too. I mean, it's just dry enough. I mean, it sounds very wondery. We talk about that wondery sound a lot. There's a lot of foley of like hospital noises and stuff, which is not my favorite. Well, I got to say, though, like the access that, you know, Laura has, especially to John Kay, who it turns out is actually the, I shouldn't say, this is the spoiler free version, but the access she has to important characters, let's put it that way, is really impressive. And, you know, it's pretty straight. I feel like I could be like getting this from like, and it probably has been reported in some straight print pieces, but you're getting more because you're hearing the voices of the people that were actually affected. And I got to say, one of my favorite moments was, as you pointed out, Kevin, very much like that Patient Zero episode, her going to that sales meeting where the doctor was trying to pitch this treatment to some local farm people, uh, you know, farmers and, you know, people in the small community and really, really interesting tape. I'm liking it so far. Kevin, what about you? Yeah, I'm also a thumbs up. I think it's a great investigation and also one that is really compelling to listen to. I'm wondering has done a great job with, yeah, these medical themed podcasts, uh, Dirty John. I mean, essentially is a medical. It's more a relationship theme. But, you know, when you look Dr. at- Dr. Death, you mean? Doc, no, well, Dirty John. Dr. Death, you draw a straight line, totally. at least through the cover art. So they're definitely, you know, sort of leaning into that. Somebody pointed out this week that like every piece of cover art they have has a hand in it. Like, who's the hand model for Wondery Podcast? Somebody making a lot of (laughs) money, I guess. George Costanza. (laughs) (laughs) He won a contest once. Um, uh, So, yeah, I'm a a thumbs up. I think this is really good. People will enjoy listening to it. And, uh, you know, they may uh, get a little rage walking in, too. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney bundle with new movies and series. 
On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Moving on. WNYC Studios and Awesome, that's OSM Audio, are rolling out an ambitious nine-part series about an American icon. In Dolly Parton's America, Radiolab host and creator Jad Abumrad explores the oversized reach of the perhaps underappreciated country music singer. 2016, I'm living in New York. Dolly is on tour. And she comes and does a stadium show here in Flushing, Queens. And just the level of excitement of people around me was like otherworldly. Everybody around me was like, Dolly Parton is a goddess. She's a saint. (laughs) To me, Dolly is a superstar, brings herself to the level of the people. I was like, whoa, I... I missed this. So I was um, sitting in my home office. In a series of interviews with Dolly and a variety of experts, Abumrad looks at her legacy, not just as a singer-songwriter, although there is plenty of music in the podcast, but also how she's interwoven into many aspects of our culture. This includes her place as a reluctant feminist, a talk show punchline, an amusement park and hotel mogul, and a weaver of Americana nostalgia. I long to always stay attached to my home, to my family. That's a golden thread that keeps me tied to eternity. And I'm hoping that through me, people can go back and and live it because I'm still one of those people that's still active enough and important enough in the world to, to be able to tell stories that people are longing for. The show's thesis is that whether you're left or right, north or south, city slicker or cowboy, we are all united in our love of Dolly Parton. The podcast is a love letter to a woman who has transcended celebrity to become a true icon. We are going to be talking about plot points from season one, the first few episodes of Dolly Parton's America. So to stay spoiler free, go to the time code listed in our show notes. Kevin, did you think this podcast was just going to be a Jad Abumrad fanboy letter to Dolly Parton? Yeah, it was either going to be that or it was going to be nine parts of like a Ken Burns thing, like going through every, you know, every eight years of her life in the chronological order. But I was really happily surprised that it wasn't that. In fact, Episode when you get to episode two, it is really the most sort of uh, biographical one, and I was actually a really grateful for that episode. I was end up looking forward to it, and it was done also very very well. So any of these could be a standalone episode of Radio Lab, uh, looking at Dolly Parton. But so far the three with this unifying theory 
of Dolly Parton as cultural icon, I think it works on a couple different levels. Well, I mean, the conceit of the podcast is that in 2019, that you would have a person that is beloved by gay people, by straight people, by Southern conservatives and by left wing pussy hat wearing activists, like beloved by all of them equally and all claimed by them. It actually is an interesting frame uh, Toby, you know, what did you think of that frame in general, especially when we hear that early tape in episode one about Dolly Parton's big breasts just kind of being her defining feature and all we knew about her for so many years? Inevitably, people are always uh, asking if they're real. And oh, I, I would never. They'd start talking about her breasts. Well, I would give about a year's pay to peek under there. <laughs> They'd joke about her breasts. But then she would make an even better joke about her breast. Do you know what's worse than a giraffe with a sore throat? And they said, no what? And the answer is Dolly Parton with a chest cold. <laughs> so the breast thing is brutal. And it's a little, it's actually, it's a little bit jarring to hear that because that would obviously not fly now. But that was something that sort of, I hate, it's not exactly superficially defined her, but it was like kind of a, a surface level image of her. And in some ways, I guess it may have helped with sort of cultural recognition or whatever and, and may have helped get her her initial start on that on that show. That guy whose name I could never freaking uh, Porter Wagner. Yes. But I think it also, you know, and, and this is not an original thought, but I think it, it makes it harder probably for her to feel as though. I mean, I think now she does, but at the time, feels though she's being taken seriously as an artist. And I think that's one of the kind of interesting things that comes across in this is that she's clearly a serious artist, but she's also, you know, she doesn't put up the, the BS front that a lot of people do about, like, I'm an artist, not an entertainer, or it's the purity of the art or whatever. She's like, you know, I'm a songwriter. I write these great songs, but then she's also like, but it's entertainment, right? So she's constantly talking about that aspect of things too in a way that I thought was a little more forthright than people are, are usually willing to do. And so I'm not sure that it actually answers <laughs> the question that you asked. It, it's an interesting, like I don't really like her music quite honestly, but I guess listening to this, especially the second episode, really made me think about her a little bit differently uh, as far as how she's reflective of America, like in in kind of in general, and that's kind of the, the the point they make about her sort of broad fandom. But it's also it comes from this very very specific place. I mean, it's hard to imagine anybody with that much broad appeal saying I came from this spot. You know, it's not just Tennessee. It's not just the hills of Tennessee. But she even like there's this big deal about this house, this porch. You know, so she's very rooted in this geographic location and yet is able to get all these people to relate to kind of her sort of vision and story. Well, she makes the point of the podcast that we all have nostalgia. I mean, and, and Jad Abumrah drives at home. You know, the root of the world nostalgia is like home and pain, right? Mm -hmm, Those yeah. are the things he said, like you feel the, the pain and longing for home. Laura, one of the things that struck me was their dive into uh, Dolly's sad ass songs, and they go into the origins of some of those old 
murder ballads that we've maybe heard, maybe haven't. I took a folk music class in college, so I have. What did you think of the whole idea of these murder ballads, that there is this entire genre of music that someone like Dolly Parton could grow up listening to, hearing her mama sing to her, that's basically just songs about domestic abusers killing women? Yeah, that was, um, it, it, you know, it's it's tough because it's like, I think one of the things that really resonates with people about her is that she's so authentic and that her lyrics and her songs and where she's coming from is something that a lot of people can relate to because they feel like they've been there. But when you're listening to this and you're realizing that at the time period that these songs, these sad-ass songs were being sung, this was kind of a reality that was more, you know, especially in that region of the country that she grew up in. You know, it was it was it's a little bit heartbreaking, but it's also a little bit just like, you know, I guess if people can relate to music and they can find an outlet for what they're going through, maybe that's a positive. But I'm glad she moved on to some more happy ass songs after that, because I don't know I could have taken that much more of that. Right. But Kevin, weren't you so surprised? I mean, it's one thing I think there's a revisionist history fantasy, right? You have a woman like Dolly Parton or some other like strong person. And you like to think they came out that way, right? They're always that way. Mm-hmm. They're always like against the grain. They're always cool. But that's very often not true. Very often people sort of evolve with the times. But we hear in this podcast and I think there's a convincing case that it's true because you hear the lyrics to her songs that she wrote when she was like 18 in Tennessee, having literally grown up in a cabin. She has songs about abortion and suicide and shame and like men putting women in psychiatric facilities when they break their hearts and like that's the way to put them away so I don't have to listen to them nag. She uses the word nag. And you are so lucky that hasn't happened. But like also you hear the Porter Wagner story how she left the show because she's like I didn't come to Nashville to be someone's girl singer on their show. Mm -hmm. Like a job that probably a million people would have killed for and thought that was their peak but she was like yeah this isn't my end game. Like that spark was all, I mean, aren't you getting the impression that it was always a little surprising to you? It's surprising to me. I didn't know a lot about her backstory. And I, th- and I was really impressed, you know, as somebody who appreciates uh, lyrics and the style of, of the music that she was writing, the depth of it. I, I certainly can see why the musicologists and the other experts there were kind of like trying to ensure that Jad was, was going Staying to- on task. Well, was going to find some appreciation for that and present that. Because, yeah, for many years, Dolly Parton is a substitute in a punchline on TV network talk shows. For about boobs. About boobs. Right. Right. And it was a way that, in keeping with the times, I mean, you, you couldn't say boobs or whatever on Johnny Carson or I don't know, whatever. But, yeah, it was a stand-in you know, for that kind of humor. And I often wonder now, because this is really making me think about her legacy as it should, that she says that it doesn't bother her. It's like to take her at her word, that, you know, that that's her personality. It bothers She's me, leaning. but it doesn't okay, bother her. It doesn't mean it shouldn't bother but, but, me. Okay, right. but, but as far as, like, the way she wants to deal with her career. Yeah. You know, she said, okay, she's going to kind of lean into it. It's entertainment. But I, I wonder if she had a different look growing in the 60s and 70s. If we wanted have thought back on her musical legacy differently Hmm. because of the depth and quality of that music that I wonder if the music industry and that the record buying public so shallow in that way I wonder if that, you know, is why she gets short shrift in that area. Yeah. As a songwriter. I also think she gets short shrift for her singing voice. 
I think there yeah. is, you know, there's a whole passage where she, when she was young, she sang too high for the music that was being produced at the time. She's one of those very gifted singers that... Gifted musician. A musician plays all the instruments. She's obviously like a savant in many ways. Um, I just would sit for hours in that little room and, and write songs and play. And As she was telling me this, I was reminded of something that uh, journalist Robert Orman had told us on the phone. If she had been born in a different era, she, she's Mozart. Really, her voice is extraordinary. If you've ever just like watched casual YouTube clips of her like singing backstage, she really does have an extraordinary cutting. Like the same way that like Stevie Nicks has like an extraordinary cutting, cuts like glass voice, perfect in pitch, uh, distinct in tone. And I know this is sort of about the song writing, but the delivery matters like a lot. There is a beautiful, uh, I'm going to be careful just to be transparent with our audience about playing a lot of clips that involve music in our show, because although Dolly Parton's America had permission to play protracted clips of music, we are reviewing the podcast, not Dolly Parton's music. But there is a amazing remix at the end of episode one that one of their music people did of just Dolly Parton's voice. I just want to play a little clip of that sound. And huge thanks to the folks at Sony for allowing us to use some of Dolly's early music. Thanks also to the Everett Corbin Collection at the Center for Popular Music. I mean, that is like modern and beautiful and distinct and unlike any other voice in contemporary music, I think. It's it's really something that grabbed my ear as like an audio consumer and I hope it grabs others. Um, uh, I just wanted to make a, a quick point in that I think the whole thing with the breasts and sort of not respecting her songwriting or or her voice and stuff. I mean, I think that's a different part of the culture. I mean, I think that's like the L.A., like New York culture that sometimes people kind of make that distinction. Whereas I, I get I get the feeling that for her fans in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, I think that was recognized. Mm. You know, I, I mean, those are big. Those, those songs were big. Yeah. I honestly didn't know like almost any of these songs. Like the fact that she wrote I Will Always Love You. I was like, really? You didn't know that? I had no <gasps> idea. No, I thought it was Whitney Houston. Um, <laughs> what a delightful <laughs> surprise. What a delightful surprise that must have been for you, Toby. <laughs> uh, I can't remember where we were, but it was fairly recently. And my wife was like, oh, it's Jolene, you know? And I'm like, what the fuck is this? Um, so I think there was like where, where, where Johnny Carson was like making lewd jokes and stuff like that. I mean, I think there was a lot of people who, you know, looked at her as, as like a music superstar and not necessarily this kind of cartoonish figure that she was portrayed by people who are sort of outside of the country music realm. Mm. Now, Kevin, uh, there was that amazing coda at the end of episode two, mm. which if you get to the credits of episode two and you think the podcast is over. Why is there still five more minutes on this podcast? This is an amazing interview with David Foster, who did the scoring and the soundtrack for The Bodyguard, the Whitney Houston, Kevin Costner movie. And he talks about being at the recording session of I Will Always Love You. We were recording the song live because the director wanted that live feeling. Is it that scene where Whitney's on stage in that hotel? Yes. And at one point, did you tell Dolly that you're going to do her song? I clearly remember going back to my room. Back to his hotel room. He calls Dolly. He's all excited. And she was like, oh, that's great news. I love Whitney, you know? She said, I can't wait to hear her sing that part, you know, um, the, you know, the third verse. And I'm going like, 
Third verse. There's no <laughs> third verse in this song. Was that not a great coda? It, it was, and I think it's actually it's a, it's a perfect it's perfect to put it out that way. Yeah, to not include it in the what is the package of that second Don't episode. Take it away from Dolly, right? Yeah, and it's really about her relationship with Porter Wagner, and that's a great footnote. So to pull it out and not like jam it into that narrative, set it aside and let it be its own thing, I think it was great. And I'm so, and I love that they call it the boom and I. We call it the boom and I moment. <laughs> boom and I. It's the boom and I moment, right? Boom and I. <laughs> the boom and I. <laughs> Laura, what did you think of Dolly's relationship with Porter? I thought that was a really interesting part of this podcast because you know, in the beginning, when she first gets the job with him, you're thinking like, this is great. This you know, she's they, they tell her how much she's going to make. It's more money than she's ever had in her life. But then you, it was a really complex relationship. And I, I felt like it really helped sort of bring her story forward in a way that like I didn't know. And I, I really felt like it was it was just listening to how the dynamic shifted as she became more popular and as she became more confident in her own abilities. And then he seemed to be a little bit threatened by that, but that she was just like, um, no, you're not going to walk on me. And I, I appreciated her quick little witty comebacks when he would try to sort of overshadow her a little bit. But the part that really struck me was listening to, you know, she leaves him, she writes Whitney Houston's song, Toby. You mean Dolly Parton's song? Yeah. And uh, she sings Whitney Houston's song for Toby, for Porter, when she's leaving. But the part that I just really, I don't know why it affected me so, was hearing like when he was dying and he was on hospice care. And she went and she sat with him and she was like one of the last people to be with him. And I felt like that said so much about her character and the type of person she was. I just, I don't know, that particular part of the story... Um, really helped bring not only like that whole relationship full circle, but also, you know, shed a little bit more light to me on just sort of there's more to her than you realize than I realized based on sort of the stereotype that you've had sort of shoved at you all these years like that. I thought that was really interesting. I thought it was interesting that after he sued her for a million dollars, which is the kind of thing that would see to grudge forever. Uh, she paid him back over time, and then after he died, bought his company and gave it to his kids. Hmm. That says a hell of a lot about what kind yeah. of person she is. Yeah. We haven't even gotten to the part of this podcast yet where, where they talk about her philanthropy. Yeah. Um, and, and that's another thing that I, I was reading about. I don't know if her father was illiterate or there was something with her father. She, I guess, built a library, the Imagination Library. Oh, she'd been giving away books for like books, yeah, you know, so many years. In tribute to her father and- um, you know, of course, all the other things that she does. But, you know, I, I don't know what the other six episodes are going to be. And I'm sure some are going to be better than others. But the courage it takes to set this up as this is the thesis. Yeah. We're going to go into all these different things and explain how Dolly Parton, uh, you know, affects American culture. You might grin thinking about it, but they are, but he's delivering the goods. She bought a whole mountain and built an amusement park and a bunch of hotels. Yeah. An I mean, amusement as, park that's visited as by a millions of people. legit economic development here. project? Yes. Yeah, that's something that- And it's that, popular. It's not yeah. a joke. It's actually popular. And Laura's going to go there with Flat Toby. Right, Laura? Uh, yeah. So I, I know Flat Toby and I are going to take some big adventures. And I was listening to, like, what was it? Like their fourth grade field trip. And so like today I was at our New Hampshire State House and I saw some kids on their fourth grade field trip and they went in the governor's office. Well- down there, you go to Dolly World when it's your fourth grade field trip. And I think I think that could be, I mean, because I don't think I'm ever going to get Toby Ball to go with me to Dolly World. 
Um, I might, but I think... Dollywood? Is it Dollywood? I call it Dolly World. Whatever yeah. it is, Dollywood. I'm never going to get... Fl- it's the Dollyverse. Whatever. <laughs> I'm never going to get Toby to go with me. But flat Toby is ready for the adventure. And I think that we can all get behind that. I've been down there. I mean, what? I haven't been in Wait, Dollywood. What? but I've Oh, been okay. To, I was going to say, you haven't been there. <laughs> I've been to Pigeon Forge and Gatlinburg and that whole area a few times. Do you see the smoke? It's the Smoky Mountains. Yeah. I mean, it's just... It, it's cool. It's a cool place. I do have that little moment where Jad Abumrad describes why the Smoky Mountains are called the Smoky Mountains. You see beauty when the blue smoke's rising. You can feel it when the eagle's flying. Apparently the smoke is the forest exhaling. At the end of a day of converting sunlight into energy, what the trees will do is open these little doors in their leaves to let out the byproducts of photosynthesis, That stuff gets out into the air, water clings to it, resin will cling to it, and then it just creates this blue haze. So, I just want to bring up one note that I had. Um, Does anybody besides me 100% blame Rush Limbaugh for the fact that women who are actually feminists don't like using the word feminist to describe themselves that way? We have this moment where Dolly Parton, who in every way is a feminist, but she thinks the definition of feminism is not liking men. Do you think of yourself as a feminist? No, I do not. She shot that right down. I think of myself as a woman in business. I love men. And I I really, because I have a dad, have all those brothers, all my uncles I loved, my grandpas I loved, and I relate to them. And I write a lot of songs about women because I am a woman. Or I just write songs that women experience. But I write a lot of songs for men. In fact, I've had hit songs, you know, by men. I write. Toby, is that Rush Limbaugh's fault or is it just me that thinks that? I don't know if you can put it totally on Rush, but it's that mentality. Definitely. It's poison the word. Well, that's more like a late 60s. Feminazi, though. That's a Limbaugh word. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, The feminazi, definitely. But I think she's I mean, that's part of the thing, though, right, is that she comes off as being culturally fairly conservative while at the same time, and I think maybe this is the way they put it in the podcast, like having a lived feminism rather than a proclaimed feminism. So she comes across as a not conservative necessarily politically, but conservative in her appearance and interactions or whatever. But the stuff that she does lifts up to some kind of feminist ideal of taking things by the reins, basically. And she's been apolitical her, her career. I mean, she does, I maybe someone's going to correct me, but she doesn't have a big song about let's get out of Vietnam or something like no, that. No, she doesn't. She, or, or, or whatever. You know, when she talks about some of the stuff that she's done, which seemed to be like very left-leaning kinds of ideas, and some other songs that we know that sort of right-leaning ideas or culturally anyway, I think people project onto her what they want to see. Totally. And when so when she can go to New York and, you know, perform in front of a very diverse crowd and she can play down south and everyone just sees it, it's very interesting. She really is very chameleon like that way. One final question, Laura Bricker. Uh, you are a private detective. So are you not intrigued by the fact that Dolly Parton has been married to a man since she was like 18 or 19 years old that has only been seen in public twice? Is she still married to that guy? Yep. That is she still so is. mysterious. Oh my god, uh, that I'm sorry. Flat Toby's field trip. I see. I thought he was like a first husband. I and and they never mentioned him again. And I just said, oh, she must be divorced from that guy. Okay, I need to. I'm gonna have to be doing some serious looking into this because wait a minute, what? Did you read uh, a rose for Emily in high school? No. No. 
Toby, you thought that Whitney Houston wrote I Will Always Love You. Who are you to like poo-poo people's understanding of the culture? No, I just, uh, did you guys read A Rose for Emily? No. No. Spoiler alert for people who want to read it, but uh, it's about a woman who, it's in the South, it's Faulkner, and she's like wooed by this guy, like she's a single woman, and then he like kind of disappears and they feel like she's been jilted at the uh, at the altar. And then it turns out that he died and she's had him in her in her like <laughs> marital bed oh. for years and years. And they only find this out yeah. after she dies. Oh, that <laughs> happened in Key West when I went on a ghost tour. Yeah. Oh, for fuck's sake. Um, of course and there was, there was No, it was a real story <laughs> about this guy who mummified his wife and he danced with her every night. Yeah. Yeah, that's not what's happening here. I think that Dolly Parton is just married to like a really reclusive <laughs> guy. You don't think there's a, there's a skeleton in her? Uh... That's super weird. But I also want to talk about her very interesting nephew and that trip they took up the yes. mountain that was super fascinating like yes they're driving and driving and driving and then they get to the gate and they can't get in and the smoke's coming off and he has a glass eye i mean there was a lot going on there well there is a lot going on there one of the more interesting details of that is that you're like oh isn't it nice that dolly parton hired her nephew to bad this job but then you find out that He's really good at it. He's like this like covert operative who like runs this team of like gun toting bodyguards. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Well, I can't wait to hear what comes next after they finally do open that gate into Dolly Parton's mountain home. But I think we should do what we do and let America know. Everyone who's listening to this podcast, many fewer people that I'm sure have listened to this actual podcast we're reviewing, should you check out Dolly Parton's America, a new project from Jad Abumrad of Radiolab? Lara Bricker, I'm going to start with you. What do you think? Um, I'm going to say yes. I mean, uh, she's pretty badass. I appreciate Dolly Parton, and I like that I've gotten a lot more of her backstory in this. Um, I do like listening to the music. It's pretty nostalgic for me. And um, so I would say give it a listen. It's really interesting. Thumbs up then? Yeah, that would be a thumbs up. And we need you on record, Laura. We can get you on record I, for the Wikipedia I page. Thumbs up for <laughs> Dolly Parton only if Flat Toby sings Jolene. <laughs> Toby Ball, what about you? Are you thumbs up or thumbs down for Dolly Parton's America? Uh, you know, I thought this was super uneven, quite honestly. I thought the first episode was okay. I thought the second episode was really, really good. The rest of it, I, I just didn't feel quite as compelling, but I'll give it a thumbs up. I'm giving it a thumbs up. I don't think it's perfect. I think there are some parts of it that are self-indulgent and overly long. For instance, they do an interview with, you know, a woman who wrote a book and they spend time in the podcast trying to get her to give a quote. And then we hear her say, is it OK if I just read from my book? And they're like, sure, that would be OK. And then we hear her read from her book and it's essentially what she just said. And I I know Jad Abumrad's work enough to know that it's very deliberate. He doesn't do anything that's not deliberate. And so for him and his imagination, there was a reason to include that reluctance and then that repetition. But for a listener like me who isn't yet after, you know, what was that in the third episode or whatever, I'm not yet fully on board the Dolly train. I would save those indulgent moments for later. So in that way, it's imperfect. But other than that, I'm really enjoying the podcast. I'm definitely going to continue listening to the series. It's an incredibly creative way 
to get a view on sort of where we are through the lens of this one person. I hope it doesn't continue to go down these very specific rabbit holes and maybe kind of gets into, like you said, Kevin, philanthropy, sort of like other big themes that are, are you know, tensions in our culture that Dolly Parton has a, a way to sort of tell that story. But I'm really enjoying it so far. So for me, a big thumbs up. What about you, Kevin? Uh, I am a thumbs up. I started thinking about this in comparison to say something like Missing Richard Simmons, a celebrity profile. And uh, it's uh, it's set up a lot differently. Um, like I said, it's not a very chronological thing. And it does sort of explore more about themes than about historical incidents. Uh, episode two sort of being an exception to that. But I think it's really interesting. I think like when you said we were going to do Dolly Parton's America. You're like, why are we doing I was that? like, what? And I'm sure a lot of people <laughs> looking at the, at the show notes for this podcast are like, they're doing what? Uh, we review podcasts, Kevin. I, I know. But like, why? Because it's a really good podcast. It's important. I think that uh, it does a very good job of explaining someone who I knew about but didn't really think about. Yeah. And so I, in that sense, you know, good job of sort of opening my mind and my appreciation for who Dolly Parton is and what she means. And, uh, you know, I think that they're doing like an excellent job, everything from sort of explaining her political leanings and how we see them to, you know, the fact that people will still, you know, love her so much that they will go to an amusement park to see a replica of the, the home that she grew up in. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime, crime of the week. Of the week. This Australian businessman knows how to make it rain. At least that's what he's been telling farmers in drought-stricken Victoria. <laughs> David Miles says he has a weather modification device and he has been offering 3-month contracts to make it rain on farmland for $50,000. Miles will not reveal how his invention works, but it does require creating a bridge in the space-time continuum to get the 10-day weather forecast. <laughs> he claims to do this with, quote, electromagnetic scalar waves. 
signed to say, yeah, that's not a thing. <laughs> the government says they can't stop Miles from making the claims, but they are warning farmers about his dubious business. Miles says his contract service is legal because he only makes money when it works. No rain, no gain. Miles says he's keeping technology a secret so competitors don't steal it. That, or maybe because people will realize he's just taking credit for random passing showers. <laughs> but fear not, Australian farmers. If you are still interested, Partners in Crime Media will offer you a make it rain contract at half of his price, and we guarantee the results will be exactly the same as Miles. Right. Just call that bleed bag line. That's right. So, panel, selling rain seems like a very solid business venture. What else is this inventor going to sell? What do you think, Laura Bricker? Um, I mean, I'm going to go with the obvious, sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> you get both packages. <laughs> I mean, once the rain is done, you need a little sunshine to get the crops That's true. Going. That's true. What do you think, Toby? What do you think this uh, inventor is going to sell next? Uh, Ten to 12,000 stem cells. <laughs> oh, obvious choice. Very good. Very good. What do you think, Kevin? What do you think this inventor is going to sell next? Uh, iced Eskimos, of course. <laughs> that sounds about right. All right, we should probably wrap it up on that note. But before we do, Laura Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? Oh, we have a cute little kitten. I was going to do the dog I met today. I met a dog named Toby today. Oh, <laughs> save it for next week, Laura. But who's but the cat you were going to do? The cat this week is from our listener, Krista Korea. And Krista sent, oh my God, it's a little orange kitten. Oh my goodness. Many cute pictures of the little orange kitten with its little blankie. And it's a little orange tabby named Delilah, currently living at the Long Beach Little Paws Project Kitten Nursery, Long Beach's first kitten nursery. And they take tiny kittens who are too young to be in the shelter. Since they have a huge feral cat population in the area, this is a very valuable place. When Delilah first arrived, I hope you're all sitting down for this, she had yeah. suffered a prolapsed anus. Oh, oh. poor Delilah. Uh. Kevin has that. He knows how it is. Oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, she's gotten great care and is doing well. Um, she's been taking pictures of Delilah each time she volunteers to see how she's grown. And when she's big enough, she'll go back to one of the regular rescues to be adopted. So anyone that is local to this area, you can go volunteer or go adopt Delilah because she's so cute. And now her butt is all straightened out. So, so the prolapsed anus, is that the tasty one? Oh, stop it. <laughs> Jesus. All right, Laura Bricker, if we want to send you their dogs to be cat of the week next week, how can they find you on Twitter? Uh, at Laura Brooker on Twitter. And Toy Ball, people want to reach out to you to just laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh that you thought Whitney Houston wrote, I will always love you. <laughs> How can they find you on Twitter? See, I don't know if I thought she wrote it. I just thought it was her song. But regardless, they can reach me at Toby Ball NH. See what happens when you play basketball all the time and don't engage <laughs> with pop culture. Kevin Flynn, if folks want to reach out to you on Twitter, how can they find you? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. And you will love me on Instagram if you love photos of dogs and Kevin sleeping. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And I encourage you to join our amazing community. It really is amazing. In our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group, it's really, really great. Honestly, everyone there is rad. Support this show on Patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media. You'll get our after show right now. You'll get Married with Podcast, you get Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast, and for just one extra buck a month. That's right. If you join at the $6 level, you will also get Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker podcast. That's four extra podcasts. 
for six bucks a month. It's a good deal. Our theme song was performed by the New York Sky Jazz Ensemble, starring Rocksteady Freddy and used with their permission. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, formerly known as Studio C, the closet in our basement that contains exact replicas of the quilts we all had as children. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. later. Dr. Death host Laura Beale traces the Bad Batch to manufacturer Jenna to manufacturer. No, I'm saying again. Dr. Death has. <laughs> it's fucking hard. I think it's nice. bile. Does it matter? It does. Bile sounds like throw up. Yeah. Okay. Beale sounds like Jessica Beale. Okay. Dr. Does she De- masturbate as much? Stop it. Oh, God. Oh, nobody does. Oh, God. Dr. Death host. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> In crime media. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.